Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast hosted by Lewis Shulman and myself, Kyle Bishop. Our goal is to share what we learn from people who have achieved the goals that we want to achieve. Lewis and I met and became friends over a shared passion for deep conversation, reading, and entrepreneurship. Through these passions, we've developed this podcast. Join us as we document our journey and share what we learn from amazing guests along the way. Today, we're joined by Joe Puccio. Joe is the CEO and co-founder of Corsicle, which is an app and website that helps students build the perfect schedule and notifies them when seats open up in previously full classes, which enables them to actually have that perfect schedule. He's improved the lives of hundreds of thousands of students with over 900 universities supported on his platform. And in this interview, we walk through his story of building this great tool. He's a contrarian principled thinker with a lot to teach. I hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as we did. And with that, we're gonna cut to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool, so our first question for you is kind of something we like to ask all of our guests just to get some more personal background. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're from, some of your hobbies and interests growing up and those kinds of things? Yeah, so I'm from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, and as regard to, above, so a little bit more background from that. So my, my family is from the Northeast. So my, my mom's from Boston, my dad's from New York, and they moved down here and um, for starting a family with my sister and me. Uh, but I'm from uh, Chapel Hill for the most part. Um, although a lot of Northeastern influence. And then uh, with regards to hobbies and interests, um, I, more in the past six or seven years since starting Corsicle, I haven't had much outside of Corsicle, but usually it's been things like, um, like uh, I would say like video games to a certain extent, like Call of Duty, a decent amount. That's usually what I do outside of, of Corsicle, especially more recently. Um, but other, outside of that, yeah, usually my, my spare time is, is spent working on core school for the most part. Mm-hmm. As I understand it, that's your primary job, right? You don't have like a secondary, uh, that's, this is what you do. You yeah, this is, it's, for yeah. the most part, core school is my, my primary and my secondary job. <laughs> that's funny. Were you into programming uh, when you were younger, like in high school, or, or when did you pick that up? Yeah, I was I was a little bit into programming, but it was more of like a means of exploring like math and physics kind of stuff. So I had a pretty intense interest in, in math and, and physics when I was in elementary school and middle school. It became like environmental science kind of stuff. And then high school went back to, to math um, and, and physics somewhat. Um, and I just learned a little bit of programming from like a, one CS class I took in high school, which is the only CS class our school offered. And, um, and then kind of used that, used Java to explore little math and physics concepts that mm-hmm. I was interested in, like modeling, like, um, dynamical systems. So like, you know, like a pendulum or like balls bouncing around a room or something like that, or, um, or like uh, cellular automata, those kinds of things. I would just like program little things that would that would uh, let me play around with that kind of stuff. And that's that's really the only experience, the the only program experience I had leading up to uh, to mm-hmm. Corsicle. 
That's really interesting using computer science to explore the topics of math and physics through like, you know, the balls bouncing around everywhere. That's cool. Yeah. Do you ever feel like you made any cool realizations or discoveries from that? Or was it more like a greater understanding of concepts you were already interested in learning? Um, I would say that um, there were certain times when I thought like, oh, wow, I actually discovered something new. But it turned out like after talking to a professor or something, I absolutely didn't. Uh, and... Yeah, it was it was more just like I wanted to make something that was kind of cool that was really just for me kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't I didn't really think I was like on any frontier or anything. Well, mm-hmm. sometimes I did, but um, I was wrong every time I thought that. Um, <laughs> it was and, at least new to you, so you, yeah. you, you found something out new for yourself. Uh, just because someone else discovered it before it doesn't necessarily discount the sure. learning value you got out of it. Sure, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that uh, for the most part, it was just getting a little bit of a deeper understanding and also just like making something that I could show my parents or, or my girlfriend or something like that, that I thought was cool. Definitely. Uh, so those are some of those kind of more academic or intellectual projects. I know you had a couple other kind of hacky programming projects. I saw one thing on the internet about something you made for tracking iPhone 6 availability. Yeah. I guess, can you give us the backstory? So is that phone very much like in such high demands that it was difficult to obtain and you wanted to kind of work around that or how did that come about? Yeah, so that was actually uh, that was actually post-Corsical. Uh, Corsical was really my, the first project, but Six Tracker specifically was when I was a sophomore in college. Uh, a friend, semi-friend of mine, uh, you know, knew I did um, the notification system for classes and he was trying to get an iPhone 6, but it was a similar kind of problem where you'd have to check the Apple website to see where you can, like, do a, an in-store pickup um, in uh, out of, you know, some number of Apple stores near you. Um, and you just have to continually check the site. So he said, well, can you create something that would, you know, automate this? And so I think I did that with him for, for the, I think it was actually first, like, the iPhone 4, five or five S launch or something like that. And then, um, he asked me to do it again for the sixth launch. And that's when it actually started to get some traction, like Engadget and some other tech news sites picked it up. Um, and we had like, I don't remember the numbers. It was something like 60,000 people use it in, in three weeks or something like that. Um, wow. but yeah, basically all it was is you went to the site. If I remember correctly, you enter in like a phone number that would text you, you would get text from, or two, and then um, a zip code, and it would programmatically look through all of the uh, Apple stores in like a 50-mile radius or something from your zip code and notify you in one of those had uh, iPhone 6 available, like in stock for pickup that you could go buy. So did you just configure that with like a web scraper uh, and a little bit of something to ping? And that was pretty yep. much it on the back end? Yeah, it was, uh, it was just... Uh, I remember correctly, it was just the same backend we used for course school. It was Python requests and beautiful soup, which is just a yeah, just this, like, web scraping a, library. Web scraping libraries, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, that was kind of like peak iPhone hype too. Like right before people started paying people to be uh, in line, and also like buying uh, through just through the internet. Like that's when people were really out there, like 
waiting for 10 hours to get one. Yeah, I think it was, it was a, it was a, there was certainly an inflection point. First, it was like really only the, the hyper Apple nerds would like wait in line or like would go crazy about the new iPhone release. And then, you know, iPhones became more mainstream. I think you're right. And this was like near the inflection point where it wasn't so mainstream that Apple had plenty of inventory for everybody to mm-hmm. get an iPhone at the beginning. But um, it also uh, was enough that like, you know, there's going to be significant uh, demand um, yeah. supply shortage. Nice sweet spot. Yeah. Is there anything else? Is there anything else? Any other projects that you'd like to talk about before we transition to Corsicle? Um, not really. Yeah. I mean, well, one thing, and, and this will probably come up later, is that generally, like, even throughout my entire time working on Corsicle, I, um, anytime I think of something like this is a pain point in my life, or, um, or some friend complains about one thing, or I just think that this could be a, a potential product usually it arises from pain point related things um i write that down in a like a a document that i've kept since i was in middle school um and and some of the stuff that i've done like there's another thing is six tracker wasn't really one of those because that was another friend's idea but Mm -hmm. um esta paper if you wanted to look that up uh which just like it basically is just a thing i was doing when i was procrastinating writing my own paper and it just like tells you how long it'll take you to write a paper given certain requirements and those kinds of things Mm. um and that's had like a couple hundred thousand views a lot of them are from college students like a lot of this stuff came from um a lot of the projects just were like me going through that list that i just kept and then starting a new thing so um but the only ones really of note are or Estet Paper and Six Tracker. You know, I made another thing called Trailer Looper, which just, like, basically allowed you to... Um, it would just, like, scrape Apple's um, list of movie trailers, and then it would just play those trailers in a loop, or, like, you know, not in a loop, but, like, in sequence, like you're at the beginning of a movie, um, where That's they just fun. play trailer after trailer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, no, those are the only those are little products on the side that mm-hmm. certainly have no intention of becoming businesses, but uh, some of them did end up getting traction. And, and the origination of those ideas was really just like little tiny pain points that I had or yeah. little interesting things. Yeah, I've I think done uh, a ton of web scraping, but I know, you know, certain websites aren't particularly fond of people sending uh, robo users to just like, constantly ping their servers and and stuff like that. So have you ever gotten in any trouble with some of these services for driving large amount of, you know, uh, automated traffic and things like that? Because I know that's anything, anytime a course is like, this is how you do web scraping, don't go crazy. Otherwise you'll get in trouble. Sure. Um, I'd say that it's a little more of a wild west than maybe courses would make it out to be. Uh, But we've certainly had our run-ins and I'll, I can talk about that specifically with core school is probably the biggest one. But, uh, in general, we thought that Apple was going to shut down our six tracker thing, like way sooner. Like, I mean, not even, they didn't, we never even get it, got a cease and desist from them. We were really expecting one. Um, especially once we got picked, picked up from big news sites because we had seen sites that were similar to ours in the past and they always got cease and desist from Apple. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe Apple just decided, or maybe we, we didn't get on their radar. But yeah, uh, that's um, when it comes to our experience, the only times we've really gotten any legal people reaching out in a legal capacity has been from Corsicle. And so we're able mm-hmm. to navigate those conversations pretty well. 
Um, stepping back a little bit, I think that that's really interesting the way that you'd write down pain points. I know that in a lot of the entrepreneurial books that I've read, it's like for a month, you know, every problem you see, just write it down and then and you filter out at the end of the month and you'll have three problems that are actually kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, do you remember when you wrote down the pain point from Corsicle in that document? Do you still have it? Uh, so the Corsicle pain point was, that's a great question. The Corsicle pain point, um, I think it was something that was so severe and that I don't even think I wrote it down in that document. I just started working <laughs> on it. You weren't going to forget about it the yeah. next day. Yeah, I just like literally the same day I started working on Corsicle. So so yeah, I, didn't, I don't even think it made it into that document. Okay, so let's kind of get into that then. Uh, so you kind of graduate high school, You've dabbled in programming primarily from a mathematics, physics uh, point of view. Mm -hmm. And does course school come about in your first semester registering for classes or kind of walk us through that, please? Yeah, of course. So founding story of course school, basically, I was an incoming freshman at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, I spent like seven hours planning my class schedule, then finally went to register for my classes. And I only got into one out of the five I needed to take. Um, After seven hours. Of... Yeah, seven hours of planning. Yeah. And, and this is back when? 20, 2012? You got it. Yeah, 2012. Okay. Um, and so I, uh, I, at that, that night, I started writing a program that would uh, basically, uh, University of Alabama, I think they, they used to have, use a different system, so you might not be familiar with the shopping cart system, but basically you could put these, your, the classes you're interested in taking in like a little kind of like a queue just like a shopping cart where you could see their statuses and I, mm -hmm. I wrote a program in apple script a horrible little archaic language that would just take a screenshot of my shopping cart and email it to me every 10 minutes and then i would check those emails to see like okay did a class open up so just automating the the checking process where i don't have mm -hmm. to be like you know right in front of a computer all the time to check and um and while i was actually writing that program i got into most of the classes just because I was like refreshing the page as part of writing the program and that kind of thing. And it only took me a couple hours to write, I would say. Um, and then and then a f I decided, all right, let me just finish the program and, and let a friend use it. So I let my friend Alan use it and, uh, and he got his classes over the course of like a day or two. Um, and then I let another friend use it, Lee, and then he suggested opening it up to other students. And so um, he and I actually did that we uh, started by, I rewrote the program to text you when classes opened up um, instead of just sending this shopping cart uh, like mm -hmm. uh, a screenshot. And um, we packaged it as a Mac app that students would have to download and send us a serial, like send us their uh, an identifier about their computer that we would generate a serial from. And it was just kind of a, kind of a mess in, in regards to getting it set up. But um, it certainly worked and we sent it to like 40 friends or something like that. And, um, and it was a huge dis disappointment. Only like 20 people downloaded it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and that was, that was really upsetting. Um, so, you know, it's, it sunk a couple of probably like a dozen or two, a couple dozen hours of, of programming into this thing. Um, and I thought, okay, this is finally, this is, you know, really transitioning from I'm using programming to not just explore math and physics stuff to actually actually uh, making something for users because I think that I probably had a sense that that was what I ultimately wanted to do was to to do something that was consumer facing not just fuck around basically with you know my own um, 
my own uh, physics math stuff. So, um, so then I uh, we kind of just like let the program sit in the back uh, of our heads for like a couple of months until the next semester of registration came up. Yeah. Um, so you solved your own problem. Yeah. Whoever wanted to use it got the benefit of using it, and then you actually had to you know be a freshman and live yeah. life and take classes and do the thing you signed up for in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. So, so then I kind of, we kind of just went back to, um, run of the mill stuff, uh, just, just taking classes. And then the next registration period came up. So that was, uh, so August is when most of this stuff happened. And then it went to November. Um, and that was when the next registration period came up for the following spring. And, um, and so, um, we, I think we we set up the program again just to work for us and like a couple of our friends, running on one of my computers. And then one of my one of Lee's friends um, texted him and said like, "Hey, I want to use your app, but I uh, don't have a Mac. Can you just because you needed a Mac to to actually run the Mac app, and you had to com- keep your computer open every time, like the entire time you wanted to check for classes." Um, and he said, you know, can you just track the class for me and let me know when it opens up? And then there's just this epiphany moment. Really, it's a, I don't know, in this case, maybe it wasn't so much an epiphany as a realization of how stupid we were. Um, and we were just like, okay, well, we should rewrite it so that we centralize the entire thing where it's running on my Mac. Um, mm-hmm. I keep my Mac on all the time. Um, I had a little Hackintosh, which is like when you run Mac OS on a PC. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, it was like a desktop in my in my room, um, my dorm room, and so we reran it on that. Um, and I would just leave that on, and we would add all of the classes that people wanted to track to my shopping cart, because um, there was no way, there was no public display of the course data, mm-hmm. uh, um, of the real time course data at UNC. So we had to use someone's login credentials to actually get those. So we were, you know, that's one of the reasons why we had to design it so that it was a Mac app. So we would use everyone's you know, credentials locally, and we didn't have to take their either uh, username and password or anything like that. Um, so I would add those classes to my shopping cart and then notify them and then the script would notify them when, when seats open up. So um, I spent like the next, you know, that evening and maybe the next couple of days rewriting it so that it would work like that. And um, and then we set up like a WordPress site that would students could enter in the classes they wanted to track. Um, and, and then it would automatically get added to a little database that we had running locally on my Hackintosh. And then, uh, and then we would actually, at that point, we were manually adding classes to the shopping cart every time some student tracked a new class. I would, we would go in and manually add the class to the shopping cart. Eventually, we automated all of this. Um, but that's when, when we centralized this. So students just had to go to a WordPress site. Uh, and instead of downloading a Mac app and didn't have to do all the serial number stuff, uh, that's when we really started to grow. So we had like 900 people the first semester and then 1,800 the next semester, and it just kept doubling after that. Um, what were those numbers, did you say? Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Uh, 900 users the first semester and then 1,800 uh-huh. the next semester. So it just was doubling. Uh, and that's and, all on US. It's, that's at UNC Chapel Hill, That's right? correct. Yeah, that's all at UNC. And at this point, it's all still free. Yep. The all, user. Yeah, 100% free. Uh, track unlimited classes. Um, and all that yeah and that was all just organic uh those first yeah we we it was i mean on a fundamental level for sure the first semester was purely organic um so i think that we did like we did a couple of things where i think we like tweeted at like two or three 
of the um, like the more followed Twitter accounts at UNC, like you know, like uh, Tar Heel life hacks or some stupid shit like that. Um, and I think one of them retweeted us, and you know, we thought, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to grow like crazy, and we got like maybe like three, four used new users from that <laughs> retweet. Sure. Um, but yeah, so it was really just slow organic growth. I think from November to December, I remember around New Year's, I remember thinking we have like 300 users. So, and then, um, and then when it came to like January 15th or something like that, when the semester was starting up again, I think we had like 600 and then, um, and then like closer to the end of registration, which would have been like end of January, we had 900. Um, yeah and then and then when the next semester came around it was you know we just got like all of those old users just immediately and then just started kind of growing mm-hmm. uh, growing into the new population like uh the larger population of students the only thing we really did for marketing was um we printed out we had plans to print out a bunch of things just that you know like little things that like you know need to get into a class use use uh class checker is what it was called originally um and we would we were planning on putting them in the dining halls or something like that but we were kind of afraid of uh actually this it kind of loops into what you were talking about earlier with regards to web scraping we were terrified of the it department so mm-hmm. there was this story at ucf uh university of central florida um where students a student created something similar to what we did um uh, and we only found out about this after we had uh, started working on class checker and then the university found out within like seven days or eight days or something of him launching the site which got a decent amount of traction um he the site was shut down by the university they blocked it on their network and then he got like suspended for a semester and then had to like write a paper about what he did was wrong or something it was <laughs> it was very very austere it was ridiculous so that reminds me of the of the mark zuckerberg um in the social network where he had like you pick whichever one was hotter and then he had to go in front of like a the Harvard board. board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and, and this was even more like, you know, this was, this was not a, like a privacy invasion to students or anything like this. This was just probably like a purely helpful tool. So we thought that this was kind of ridiculous. And so we were afraid that, you know, the university, the IT department at UNC would be similar. Um, mm-hmm. So, we we actually tried to maintain an anonymity for like as long as possible so we you know we did not post publicly uh tied to our names on like any of the um facebook groups which is really where people were at the time um or anything like that so the only thing we did do was we we tried to like um just we distributed flyers to like one dorm i think we slid the flyers under like 600 doors or something like that (laughs) it was very difficult to even tell how much traffic we ended up getting from Mm -hmm. that um you know it's always disappointing that's something that um every single time we launch a new feature a new product or anything like that uh it's it's just crushingly disappointing you always like even when you try to tame your expectations as much as possible it's always disappointing so like same with marketing things like you'll think oh wow we're gonna get so much traffic from this and you get like maybe one tenth of what you were expecting um so so yeah that's the only thing we tried to do i i can recall in the early days of trying to get the the word out of a class checker so it's at this point 2012 2013 yeah that was still 2012 or so or maybe 2013 at that time yeah so i mean today like 
Corsicle is in every university. We, me and Lewis have talked to, you know, 15 different people about this and every single one of them knew what Corsicle was. I mean, it, so like, I guess what's next? Like you, when do you get the next university? You know, you're 1800 users. How do you go from UNC how to- How do you scale that? Sure, yeah, sure. all the way there. Yeah, so it's, yeah. So, so kind of moving forward with the story, um, we were growing very well. This was, this was, uh, the spring semester of 2013 and then um the summer comes and the next thing the next part of course will kind of starts which is my my uh now co-founder tara ida and i um she i was visiting her at harvard and she was helping me plan my schedule she's also my girlfriend which is why we're so intimately tied on all this stuff she was helping me plan my schedule and she um we were just complaining about the UNC core search because it was so awful to use. And, and she said, well, why don't we make something that's better? Uh, there was something at Harvard called Harvard Class that I think a lot of students at Harvard used for planning their class schedule. And, um, and you know, we didn't really set out to emulate that, but uh, we knew that it was possible. So we created a site that made it easier to search for classes. Uh, that was really the, the core thing there. And one of the reasons for that was UNC made it so that when you search for like computer science classes or chem classes or something like that, if your query returned more than 130 sections, it wouldn't return anything at all. Uh, you would have to filter your query such that it would return fewer than 130 sections, which means you could not search for all math classes at UNC. You would have to do math greater than 500, and then you'd have to do math less than 400 or something like that, and just kind of like weed your way around just to see all of the math courses that were available. Um, so originally it was just all set out to 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 make that better um and and we uh we launched that in the summer that was like july of 2013 and that was a unc class finder which was kind of a sister site to class checker and we used class checker success at that point to push class finder so after you signed Mm -hmm. up for class checker there was just a link on the page that said like you know need to plan your schedule or want the perfect class schedule click here and then it would link you to class finder um and so then Class Finder actually started to get a decent amount of success too. Uh, That's definitely useful. Like our school search system is kind of the same. Yeah. Uh, the internal one, course school, I think at this point now does work for what you're describing. Yeah. But internally, even now, 2020, 2019, it sucks. I mean, yeah, for you sure. type in CS and it brings up like, it's, it's not good results. Yeah. Not the, helpful. The, uh, the universities purchased the software from like one of or one of like three different companies uh that haven't changed their software or haven't significantly updated it uh in 20 years and so you know you use these sites and it feels like you're in 1995 um and there's really there's a lot of misaligned incentives incentives which we can get into for why that software is so terrible but we were just trying to you know just to, to bring it into not even necessarily the 21st century but like you know 2004 Five or something like that. It would just bring it, bring it, making it uh, as intuitive as you would expect it to be um, mm-hmm. on a, as a baseline. So, so that was Class Finder started to do very well. Actually, exceeded the success of Class Checker. Um, we had more users using Class Finder every semester. And then, you know, just to kind of complete the story and to get to your 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 question, Kyle. Uh, like we. Um, we just were running it at UNC as a side project, nights and weekends, both of them, uh, until we were 
juniors and then Tara and I oh, wow. yeah so we were just it was just a side project just a hobby project all everything was completely free and at that mm-hmm. point maybe like 60% of UNC students were using uh, one oh, wow. <laughs> one or one or both of the the, the products um, and you still kept your names out of it when you're still kind of anonymous at this point where you have 60% of the student body using I some think tool that and you're, I th- you're just in the background of your sure. CS classes like this wizard <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was it was I mean, even even once we became non-anonymous to the university, we were very much anonymous to the student body. Like, I, you know, I would sometimes meet people and they'd ask what I was doing or working on or something, and they would be, like, completely flabbergasted that, you know, they were talking to somebody who worked on Class Checker or Class Finder or something like that. Um, but we did eventually actually uh, lift the, the veil of anonymity when we were struggling one semester to send push notification or send uh, text messages to students we were just hitting too much volume um and we reached out to the cs department and they were unfortunately not very helpful except for the chair of the department uh he was pretty helpful and then he also suggested talking to its about this and so that point is when we we lifted uh when we you know actually approached its and was like can you help us with this um and we were very nervous about that conversation um, but uh, it turned out that for one, they kind of already knew it was us because they saw that there was this one student, which was me, who had like a thousand classes in their shopping cart, and I was actually like kind <laughs> of slowing down the system in some ways. Like every time I my program would refresh the page every minute, uh, they would see this like very long query on their database that was kind of slow because um, it would take like a decent amount of time like 45 seconds for that page to load so they had already like known something was going on with me specifically um but they you know they were incredibly supportive like they were like we want to help you um you know they do they try to give us as many resources as we could uh like you know give us a, a server space and that kind of thing they wanted they really just wanted to help us which was very very refreshing um, it's incredible the, yeah the story of course school would be very different if, if it weren't for that i would think um and yeah so so th- th- that that's the point and that was probably our sophomore year i think yeah it was definitely our sophomore year when uh, maybe late in our sophomore year when we kind of started approaching its but um so so its they knew the ITS is the IT department, uh, to be clear. Mm-hmm. They they knew who we were. Um, and then junior year, um, Tara and I tried to expand to other universities. So the okay. way we thought to do that was, okay, ITS actually started paying us for our time um, working on, on the two product projects. So we thought, all right, well, the IT department see the value in this, so why don't we try to sell to other universities? That's how we can take Definitely. this from a, from a hobby to, a, to an actual business. Um, and I, the reason I, I was getting like rejected from internships all, all over the place. So I just thought, all right, fuck it. I'll just work on, on, on this over the summer. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so Tara and I tried to sell to universities. We actually, at that point already had like obviously contacts with the IT department who liked us. We had, we'd helped out the registrar department at UNC, um, and academic advising, giving them data on like what students what classes students wanted to get into and those kinds of things mm-hmm. to help them with uh, demand and preparation and that kind of thing. Um, so the registrar was very nice and he introduced us to like 10 registrars at uh, like all these good institutions across the country. Um, and we reached out to, I think it was probably like um, 1,200 people at like three or 400 universities. A lot of them was cold emails, first started cold calling and it was awful. Like for one, 
we we were not enterprise salespeople. Like we were just these mm-hmm. scrawny little students that student that mm-hmm. the that the IT departments and the registrars really had no interest in working with. Um, even when we got like a pretty heavyweight recommendation from the IT from the uh, the registrar at UNC, and um, and and they just didn't understand the 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 product's value. They just thought, okay, our system already does this. Like for instance, the I'm sure we reached out to University of Alabama, and, and they were and they probably said something like. Um, you know, our system already supports all these features and uh, we're not interested in that this time, but thanks for reaching out or something like that. Like that was the majority of the things that we got. Um, sometimes we would have like demo calls or something like that where we would get to the demo phase or something, but still they, they just, they ultimately weren't interested. Um, so we probably spent our wheels for like two and a half months on that. And then we made like one sale to Elon University in North Carolina for a completely new product that we had to build, which is a four year planner. Um, and, uh, and then closer to the end of a very frustrating summer, um, working f- for the first time full-time on Corsicle. Um, uh, and we'll I'll just call it Corsicle, even though it was still Class Checker and Class Finder at that point. Uh, we decided, all right, well, it seems like all of the course data is public for these universities. So why don't we just do what we did at USC? Do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, do it anyway. And then try to, you know, punt monetization, like figure that out later. Let's just try to expand to the university, to the college, without working with the university, and then um, and see where things go. And so we added, uh, right at the end of that summer, we added support for four new colleges, which was App State, uh, which is North Carolina, mm-hmm. Penn, um, University of Pennsylvania, Brown, and Notre Dame. And a, okay. we kind of wanted to, for one, some of it was just like, I think Tara asked one of her friends who ended up being at Notre Dame, like, hey, would this be helpful for you? Um, and she said, yes, absolutely. And then um, some of the other colleges we wanted to tap into, like what's what's it like at private four-year, public four-year, mm-hmm. large, small, those kinds of things. We want to kind of get a... You got like a representative of many yeah. different types of schools. Yeah, that's what we were trying to do. And, that's um, clever. And we did, we did well at Notre Dame and App State uh, especially. And... Um, and then we kind of started to continue expanding, and we ended up adding um, another like hundred colleges by the time we graduated. So this was this was when we added those four other colleges. That was um, that would have been like end of year twenty fifteen, and then okay. before we graduated in May of twenty sixteen, we added like another ninety six or 95 more or something like that um and and then we started to see very small amount of growth because it was very hard to market at all those colleges okay. but once. over time like the marginal difficulty of adding a school just continued to go down yeah yeah uh, it, we realize yes that that's definitely the case we also realized that schools use a relatively few systems so we didn't actually have to for in a lot of cases mm-hmm. write a new scraper for every single school um so that just was, changed parameters yeah, basically, exactly. So, so we that that actually the marginal marginal um, difficulty decreased drastically once we realized some of that stuff. Um, I mean, know. if it took you a summer to do four, but then a semester to do a hundred. Yeah, mean, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so yeah, so that's that's and then you know we can fast forward to today where we're at like nine hundred colleges and uh, 
like 400,000 users uh, across our app and, and website. And yeah, Core School is starting to hopefully become more of like a household name uh, when it when it comes to, to cer- certain, cer- certainly some universities like mm-hmm. at Alabama and, and South Carolina and UNC, Notre Dame. Like, I mean, a lot of these people, especially freshmen coming in, they it, from their perspective, Core School has existed forever and it's the thing that everyone always used. Um, from my yeah. perspective, it's existed forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember... Like at Bama Bound, which is our like orientation, you know, getting on campus for the first time, we would, um, we, you know, we went through that seven hour process of like them filtering us through our major. And then uh, we go all the way down to um, the counselors there with us, like helping us, or the advisors helping us pick our class schedule. Yeah. And they were like, don't get discouraged. If there's anything that's wrong, you can just like use Corsicle. Like, and that was the first, you know, 15 hours I spent on campus that yeah. ended with them recommending Corsicle as a, as a tool to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, we've, we've seen that, that where the, the colleges were grown the most. I don't even know that that was happening at, at Alabama, but um, at South Carolina, we've had advisors write in and we'd ask them, like, how did you hear about Corsicle? And one of them told us, oh, well, the advisors are actually training other advisors to like recommend mm-hmm. Corsicle. So, you know, that those are the schools where we grow like absolute crazy. Now you're part of the standard operating procedures at a couple of these places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once you get ingrained like that, it's, it's really hard to like, we, mm-hmm. we, we have the not, Scorpio. yeah, we have not seen like any, we obviously see churn when, when students graduate, but like it's easily replaced by all the freshmen coming in. So we have not had mm-hmm. to market it like UNC, Alabama, South Carolina, some of these schools, you know, for three or four years because it just like it just stays steady from word of mouth and advisors telling students. I think that I might be a little bit behind here, but from a product standpoint, um, you were saying how, you know, it was loading all to your computer um like your registration card had a thousand different classes in it Mm -hmm. um at what point did it transition from there to being you know uh, scalable like was it the the isp that was helping you or or what was it yeah so um around when i was a junior one of my friends introduced me to uh DigitalOcean, which is the server provider that we still use, uh, so cloud-hosted provider. Yeah, I was gonna say y'all want cloud. Yeah, Just yeah. Um, dorm room MacBook too, an actual uh, separate third-party server, probably with some backups and yes. redundancies and stuff like that. Yes, and, and significantly more stable internet, where the RAs don't just come into your room and turn off your computer, which was a which was a problem that we had, um, <laughs> you know, during breaks and stuff. So. Um, so we started switching to DigitalOcean. Uh, you know, we we tried to run everything on one five dollar a month server because we weren't making any money, and we didn't. You know, sixty dollars a year was just a massive amount of money to us. Um, so we um, so we were we switched over to DigitalOcean, and uh, and then I think that that definitely helped with scalability to to some extent. Although infrastructure really wasn't the the biggest problem with scalability, I would say it was just like um, it was. It was really the biggest thing scalability wise in the beginning, and, and this is the, probably the case for most companies, although they probably don't talk about this that much. It's just the marketing, like just getting the word out to students was it's incredible. acquisition. Yeah. When you're tra- when you're talking about that at 100 universities, like, you know, the thing you do, might do at one is going to suck at another. Like, you know, you can't physically market. And even the physical marketing was just like, I don't think a good t- use of time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, their value we got out of it wasn't good per hour we mm-hmm. put in or something like that. 
but um, yeah, I think that that was that was definitely the difficult, the most difficult part of scaling was just like how are we going to get the word out to these students at these hundred, two hundred schools that we've just added. I mean, um, with something like your product, it's only useful in a very small window of time. Yeah. Like people, unless like besides you and your your co-founders and your team, people don't care about class scheduling or class research except for two weeks of the year. Yeah. Uh, so like you said, with your initial pain point, you have to catch them right when they're thirsty. You know that what I mean? Right when, when, right when they're feeling the pain. A hundred percent true. Definitely, definitely is very tied to marketing as well because, you know, mm-hmm. your marketing is just going to fall on deaf ears if you're doing it in like September or something. Yeah, like um, no one cares. Yeah, no they're one in cares. their classes. They got homework. They're trying mm-hmm. to socialize. Like yeah. who cares about next semester? We're not thinking that far yet. Exactly. So, so that was that, so that made it so that our, like our iteration time, like when we would like figure out, all right, let's try this new thing for marketing. Oh, well we have to wait six months because like, we're not going to be able mm-hmm. to test it until November or April yeah. or something. Yeah. That's uh, a really interesting problem because you know, part of the advantage to when people talk about, uh, you know, books like the lean startup by Eric Ries or just the standard, like, Oh, this is why building a software company is so great is because of that instant iteration and like immediate yeah. feedback. But when you're, like use time is literally just two separate weeks every year separated by 15 weeks between them. Yeah. You don't have that luxury. So that's interesting. And you can't just get a people, you can't hire people to use it right then. Cause there's just no, it's just fake. It's yeah. not the actual use scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that was, that was definitely like, we are, we do consider ourselves a seasonal business in that regard. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to run that kind of seasonal mm-hmm. business. Um, especially for, for marketing iteration, product iteration, we don't have as much difficulty with because, you know, we can kind of like get students do sort of like sometimes they'll revisit their schedule like throughout mm-hmm. the year or something like that. Sometimes people will just like use it to, yeah, I mean, one of the employees we ended up, one of the people we ended up hiring, he said prior to us hiring him, he was using Corsicle, like he would visit Corsicle every day. I don't know why you would need to visit Corsicle every single day, but. <laughs> that's, a, if you're, that's the guy to hire right yeah, there. Yeah, that's <laughs> But if you're, uh, you know, if you're spitballing, changing your major, adding a minor, kind of considering uh, different what if scenarios, then there's probably like some mid semester yeah, use case for sure. Check-in, yeah, um, but uh, one thing that helped a lot was the notification system. Like because of mm-hmm. the way colleges do their 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 registration, you register register for classes that start in January in November, and you register for classes that start in August in April. So basically, instead of just a you know, I would say maybe across all of these colleges, like the, the registration time periods are usually spread up over the course of like a month or so, maybe a month and a half. So maybe two to three months out of the year, people were planning their class schedule, uh, usually in April and November um, or centered around there. And then people were trying to get into classes eight months out of the year, though. So fortunately, mm-hmm. that helped us a little bit with like being able to market at like over the summer and during other during, over the winter break and those kinds of things. Um, and we would see growth throughout there. So that helped with the notification service. But, um, you know, still like it was, a, you know, it was the if we were to post like in November or figure out a marketing thing in November, it was probably going to be two times more effective than it would be like over a Christmas break or something like that. Um, So, so yeah, so we definitely, it it definitely affected us, but it was eased a little bit by the fact that the notification service was eight out of the 12 months a year. It was, it was at least somewhat relevant. Sure. So let's now kind of transition into some of the more business side of it, not like the user acquisition, but how did you come up with a kind of business model pricing structure freemium type, uh, how did you decide to monetize it? You know, you punted it initially uh, and then you got a point, okay, we do have the users. You've solved that problem to enough of a point where it makes sense to start thinking of these broader considerations. So what was that conversation and 
uh, process like? Yeah, so uh, it was, I mean, I'm not sure. I, I imagine uh, maybe everybody thinks this, but like I imagine there are much more, many more adults in the room when you're making those kinds of decisions at other companies. For us, it was like we are graduating now. Uh, if we're going to work on course school full time, then we need to be generating revenue from it. So let's start matter of necessity. Charging. Yeah. So it was really a matter of necessity. Um, you know, I wanted to continue working on it full time because I didn't want to uh, get a, a real actual job. Um, and so I, I think we, we kind of just like talked or I gave, I think I gave a suggestion to Tara. Like, I think that $3 seems reasonable. Like we wanted to keep it very low for one. We didn't want like just rich kids getting to their classes. We knew people would probably pay a lot of money for it, but we wanted to be like fair. Um, and so $3 just kind of seemed like if I, I, you know, we were just recently students, $3 is something like, yeah, I'd, I'd probably pay for this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if it's between $3 <laughs> And like getting into a class or not getting into a class, it's going to cost like, you know, a couple thousand dollars in tuition for an extra semester. Yeah, that's a pretty easy payoff. Yeah, I really I love that thinking. And also <laughs> it's exactly my mindset when purchasing your product. Yeah. I was like, I mean, I don't like that this is making me pay for it. But three bucks, it's like, whatever. yeah, to, yeah. to have the right to like not have a shit semester and have to repeat stuff. I mean, yeah. 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 <laughs> the pain is probably, you know, like I would if I were a student, like I, I really try to avoid paying for stuff. I would probably not be paying for course school premium. I would like try to, I would basically probably try to set up something like if this, then that on like all of my family's phones and like, have it notify me, but, you know, use the, <laughs> you would just tax six other accounts yeah, on course school. So like, yeah, I would, I would not want, I would not want to be paying for course school, but thankfully, would. uh, not everyone is like me. Um, but not everyone can program their own solutions to, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, and so, so we we started charging three dollars, and that was for unlimited classes. You could track one class for free, pay three dollars uh, a semester, or just you know it was just a one time purchase. We didn't auto renew uh, to track unlimited classes, and um, and we were expecting like a three percent conversion, six percent would be great, ten percent would be amazing. We were converting at twenty five percent, which just oh, wow. like completely changed our business. Like we were that's incredible. We were basically yeah. profitable overnight. Um, so (laughs) that's insane. Yeah. So that was, Uh, that was, that was like, and we did research, like the only company that we know of that's in that arena of conversion rate is Spotify. Like nobody else gets into like the 20 plus 25 plus conversion rate. Um, so we knew we, we really had, you know, obviously hit a pain point. People were willing to pay for this. Um, Mm -hmm. so we, we, uh, we were profitable at that point. And then we, I think like two semesters later, we just on a gut feeling, we're like, you know, we think that people are probably undervaluing it at $2. So let's raise it to five and just leave it like that. So again, just a gut thing, our conversion rate went down a bit, but not much. We still, obviously it was a, it was a profitable decision. Um, And yeah, it was really just purely based on gut uh, for the most part, choosing all that stuff. Yeah. Something I feel like is a, a use case or like the, the, the way that user might think is like they sign up, they hear about it, they put one class in there, they're like, five bucks, I don't need to pay for this, whatever. And then they sit on it for a couple of days and they're like, oh shoot, like time's passing, I'm not gonna yeah. get into my other classes. And like, then the urgency kicks in and they're like, all right, screw it, $5, yeah, I need this. Yeah. So like day one, they're like, no, I don't need this. I, what free, free, free tier is enough. And then over time, they realize how useful it is for that one class and how it would just totally save all their time to, to bump it up. Yeah, I mean, because the thing is like you could, 
you know, if you have five classes to get into and maybe it's April, you like, you could just track one class and then get into it after like a week or two and then untrack it, track a new class. Like you can do that in the freemium version, but parallelizing all five, like you, you may run out of time if you do it like that, of course. Um, so, so yeah, that's, I think that it just seemed really right to do a premium, a freemium model, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we think it would be crazy if we did just like a pay for entry kind of thing. Like it's students, students would like balk at that. That's just, you know, you, you need to give them a taste of it for free. Like uh, that's, we, we were, we were not dumb enough to know that that's something we needed to do. Um, I think one thing you kind of skipped over there is that you decided to not auto renew. Um uh, you know, that that is a, a big piece of like that recurring revenue business model is people that just have it in their bank account and yeah. never look at it and forget that it's taking $5 out every semester. Um, was that like a altruistic decision on your end? Like something that you, you know, didn't want to be taking money from these people when they didn't know? Yeah, so that's a great question. I, I think it, a lot of it was like, it was in some ways a, a moral decision because we, we just thought like, okay, we know that we could probably get $5 from these people for the rest of their lives because they're just going to forget about it uh, for some mm-hmm. of them, um, for these wealthy ones. Um, but we, we think that one, we want to, this is our first time testing it. We want to maximize the initial conversion rate. We just want to know what's the best we can get, like for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just want to, you know, get money in as quickly as possible. And we knew, obviously, if we made it auto-renewing, like, maybe we wouldn't convert as well. Like, we had no idea how, how we didn't do any user research to figure out, like, how bad would it be or how much people would be willing to pay or those kinds of things. But, um, yeah, we just wanted to get the best initial conversion rate. And then, yeah, we just think, we that's one thing that I think Course School has been helped by a lot with our brand-wise is just, like, we... Unlike a lot of businesses, a lot of businesses just to see see their users as like um, you know just statistics and you know like hey if I tweak this thing I get like a slightly better conversion rate or something like that but they don't really think about or maybe they don't consider like it, it makes it a very transactional kind of thing where like you know mm-hmm. how how much what's the value I can suck out of you as a user whereas we don't really look at it like that we just think like we want to respect our users if we were our users I would be I would not feel great about having to remember to cancel my subscription when I graduate or like when I become a junior and I don't need to get in my classes anymore um, because I just get into them initially. So we really decided to do it based on like, and we've kept it because we we thought, you know, it it just seems wrong to do that. Like we don't, we think that, you know, we we care more about the whatever um, good, um, good, whatever like good feelings we get from the users like we just want them to feel good about their interaction with core school rather than Definitely. feeling like they're interacting well, with the business i think that that mindset is probably um attributed to a lot of the success just like underlying like as a as a common theme through your decisions that you make mm-hmm. um one thing that you know we've been talking about the product and, and how you grew it but uh, through this you're changing a lot right so what did you learn um from this has been useful to you like in your own life um this company yeah so one of the things i definitely learned let's see so um at the beginning especially the very beginning i was incredibly stressed out all the time because like you had to make sure that the notification system was running and those kinds of things um you know like i would 
I would, in fact, when I was a freshman, I had the program, my poor roommate, I had the program set so that it would, I turned the speaker volume all the way up, and the program, if it crashed, it would, like, blare a really loud alarm noise. So, like, it would wake me up at, like, 4 in the morning to fix it. Um, and, like, I was just terrified of any amount of downtime or any mistakes that we would make. Um, and I think that might have been kind of important in the beginning when you're really trying to get, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to gain these trust of these people for a new product rather than, like, relying on, on word of mouth and people saying, like, this actually product actually works because uh, we were the first ones to attest that to them. Um, and over time... Honestly, especially more recently, I've realized that, like, you know, it's it can be counterproductive to be that paranoid and that, like, afraid of downtime and those kinds of things. And, like, you know, if it we may we may have zero downtime, but maybe we get like half as many new things pushed to the site that people are asking for and those kinds of things. So uh, kind of just recalibrating that. And, that, you know, that's that's like a I don't I don't know how much I mean, maybe maybe in like five years, I'll realize like how much this is changed me personally i think that it has uh but that's one way in, in the which in which it changed me personally on the how i approach the business at least i think that's that's an important uh, lesson there kind of not being so afraid of one thing going wrong and having that bigger picture mentality uh there, there's another question here i wanted to ask kind of you know this isn't a part of the conversation really spent a lot of time on but something a lot of our listeners think about a lot is if you're a student and you have entrepreneurial ambitions and you kind of have those thoughts of like, you know, everything I've learned that's been important to me in life and that's taught me how to make money has been self-educated. You know, it's the fact that I learned Python and beautiful soup in high school on my own. Uh, so a question I have for you, cause you chose, even though you had some traction, not necessarily profitability yet, but you had a lot of traction in users before you graduated and you chose to finish school is what's something you learned from either major math or computer science that has been useful to the company. Cause you chose to finish school. Uh, sure. Instead of kind of just say, you know what, I've got an awesome idea, I've got traction. Yeah. Uh, arguably, had like a broader user base than some other companies that people do choose to drop out for. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think that stayed the course. I, I think that dropping out of college, like, I think that there are very, very few people who, um, who like are actually justified in dropping out. I think that it's it's a really kind of it's probably like a pretty immature decision to make like because the fact is or or, or maybe it's like an egotistical decision because the fact is mm-hmm. like we were not i was not confident in the success of Corsicle until like we were making like over a hundred thousand dollars in revenue i would say like you know we it, just just users just traction like that that was like yeah this could just this could blow away when we graduate this really doesn't um I do not feel comfortable making like a, such a huge financial decision. Like I'm going to undermine my ability to get a job if this doesn't pan out by by dropping out of college. Like so, I think that. Um, but I I tend to be more of a risk averse person. Uh, funny because I started a startup in in college, but um, <laughs> I very much tend to be a a, a risk averse person. So you ask another founder, you probably get a different answer. But yeah, for me the calculus was very much like. I do not feel like, I don't, I, I honestly, yeah, I, I wouldn't even, you know, people were asking like my parents, like, can we help put in money or stuff like that? Like to, to, you know, or I didn't feel comfortable taking people's money. And I, until probably in like six months or a year ago, like I, we, we still actually don't take anybody's money. We, we're 
almost entirely like self-funded bootstraps yeah bootstrap that's awesome when we started taking profitability and that's another moral like not a moral decision but well somewhat we don't want to make rich people richer but for the most part we just like decided that we would you know we want to do this in a way where we raise the minimum amount of money and that's what we've done we still own like 93 percent of the company and um and we have no intention of raising even though we've had a lot of interest from from um some pretty well-known investors like we just want to run this on our own but anyway so so to to your question um which i've completely forgotten now uh Uh, anything you learned academically from academically for your Four years in computer science classes, sure. four years in higher math classes, and, yeah. whether it's like you learn some distributed, some like algorithm that help you distribute server load. Sure, sure. Or like, was there something you learned in school that ended up being very helpful? Not necessarily from like, you know, business mindset, but in just, I was able to solve this difficult technical challenge because I took X, Y, or Z class. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so so I kind of touched on a little bit of why we did, I decided not to drop out for, for like financial decisions and for financial mm-hmm. reasons, all that kind of stuff and risk aversion. But um, I would say that in general, like school wasn't really helping me that much with course school. Um, like, you know, in the content I was learning, I really enjoy learning. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, even when I was, even when I only took like one class my my senior last senior year or something like that, I did like audit three more classes because I just enjoyed learning them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say that there were only a couple of things like my databases class. They taught us like this SQL aliasing thing, and it made and then like I was like, oh my god, this is so helpful because the way we've written our SQL is just like it is such a pain mm-hmm. in the ass to change. Uh, that's for writing the yeah. queries for the people yeah. kind of who don't know so those yeah. large queries where you're doing the searching and all that that's absolutely like, yeah, yeah. Like a core piece of the actual functioning of the product yeah i appreciate that explanation so um so yeah so that's so that kind of stuff like that just helped uh helped to restructure that kind of thing and then when we were first starting course school in our my the first cs class i took at unc um, we were trying to s- extract the information from a, the P- a PDF of courses. That's how we were getting the course data when we were starting ClassFinder. Um, and, uh, and we were par- trying to parse the data in, 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 um, with Java, uh, and it was from a PDF, so it was kind of horribly formatted. And then uh, we learned about this thing in my CS class called Regex, which just makes okay. it, it like that. This is a language that makes it easy to ex- like the whole purpose of this thing is to extract data from, uh, like to, to parse data. Basically, mm-hmm. um, it's it's literally the the ideal tool for doing this. And so I learned about this in the CS class and was like, oh my god, this is exactly what we need to use. And and that did push us forward a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So, and there were, I don't know if there were a couple of other maybe little things like when we were having server related issues, maybe there's something I learned and when I audited my OS class and stuff like that, like that, that, that helped. Um, but for the most part, I would say like school took up more time than it was helpful for Corsicle, but I, I continued to do it because uh, one, I enjoy learning. And then two, I think it would have been completely silly for me to have dropped out just because of the success of Corsicle. I mean, like you said, it that was kind of a not a half brain, but like a harebrained plot after you graduated. Okay, if we want this to be full time, let's make money. Let's just three of us and the three of them slap a price tag on it and see if we can if it'll work. Yeah. So Yeah, and that mentality touches on my next question, which is like, you know, a lot of your business decisions were just from the gut, like doing what you thought would would work, but 
But what that doesn't work with, I don't think, is hiring. You really have to to know what you're doing and really think about it. So when you were growing the team, what was your philosophy for, for hiring people? Yeah. So, um, well, I'm going to... I was going to ask, can I curse? But I've already made this an R-rated show. So one of the things that we've <laughs> we've done, um, very important for hiring, is like we, the biggest thing is don't hire someone who's an asshole. Like that is like the biggest thing. Like, like even if they're the smartest kid in the room, it's clear they get all the top grades, all this kind of stuff. Just you know, you, that is just a terrible decision for such a small company. Like you want to be able to work with them. We would rather hire somebody who has like half the experience, who has you know who's like half iq intelligent or some stupid shit like that like they you know they just cannot you have to be able to work with them and they have to like be able to admit when they make mistakes and um you know like it it just you just need to have a pleasant work with them so the biggest thing is hiring people like we we we've had really smart coders who reached out wanting to work for core school um but we specifically go after people who um have good like you are friends of friends or something like that who we know on like a personal level they're not an asshole and then even if they have no coding experience even if they're just technical they've only studied math or something like that like we will say like we'll train you it's not a problem we we care about like you as a person not like your the skills the the specific skills that you were able to bring um so that has been one of the overarching uh hiring strategies for us and it has worked very, very well. Like, um, you know, the people that we brought on, um, we've been, certainly enjoyed working with them. This, we haven't had issues with, uh, you know, that's the thing that really would kill the, the excitement of working on course school is if you were working with someone who, yeah, maybe was very productive, but was just very unpleasant to work with them. Like that's just a, that's a real downer for everybody on the team. So um, that's been an important thing. Another thing hiring wise is that we care a lot. We, we care a lot about having um, equal gender balance at course school. So right now we're still around 50, 50 men and women. Um, and we care about continuing that. So we, we try to, um, compensate for the vast majority of men who apply for Corsical working as, a, as an engineer. Um, so our goal, one of our goals is to have uh, equal gender balance in all engineering and managing, managing roles. Um, so that's another thing that's kind of uh, guided us. And, and one, you know, you, we think that that's the morally right thing to do and we want to, and we think it's very, very important to start early um, in, in a company's life because you see like large tech companies who are trying to correct that now. And, you know, it's like it's 10, 10 versus 90 percent. And that's very difficult to do to correct. Um, so we think it's important to start early. And then the other thing is that, you know, the majority of our users are women, like 60 percent of course school users are women. Um, and, you know, it would just be it would be completely bonkers to to, you know, just go after go um you know follow in the footsteps of every other tech startup where it's 90 percent men working on it um so so yeah that's an, that's another factor that that really uh that really um uh informs our, our hiring decisions and you know i think it helps for sure that it's a man and, and woman co-founders um as well sure i like that a lot uh the first thing i thought of right there is you know kyle and i make a little bullet point show show notes where we have like some facts about Joe, uh, as part of the show notes, I'm just gonna be like, bullet one, doesn't hire assholes. That's, <laughs> yeah. the, <laughs> that's my first, that's gonna be like from North Carolina, built course goal, doesn't hire assholes. And like, that's gonna be the, the three bullet points there. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like that a lot. And especially uh, something I had at, 
next, my next question for you is, you know, you kind of seem like you have this background of physics, math, uh, you enjoy hiring a math major, even if they don't know how to code yet, but you have this beautiful, like intuitive, uh, bright colors, good fonts. Like it's a very aesthetic product. Yeah. Uh, so I was wondering if you could explain just a little bit, this is kind of a personal question, but about if you have a philosophy on like UX designer, if you brought in an expert, cause I think that's just part of the modern, you know, maybe not like classchecker.com might've been, you know, boxes and lines and stuff, but sure. like the modern experiences, I think like very beautiful and easy to and intuitive. So could you talk a little yeah. bit about that part of the company? Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely integral to, to everything we do to core school. Like, I mean, I would like, we could get our products out like in one tenth of the time if we didn't give a shit about aesthetics. Like that's something that um, we've cared about from the beginning for the most part. Uh, okay. Tara and I are, incredibly aesthetically minded like she is much better at design than i am i've learned basically everything that i know about design from her and a lot of it you know it's not formal design stuff it's just like does this look good and i think that um you know part of it is just um you know i think both of us i actually introduced her in high school to to not to apple products but specifically to max and like i think that we get a lot of uh like design philosophy, like strip everything down to mm-hmm. bare minimum stuff from Apple. We've learned a lot from just like using their products. Like uh, for the most part, like, you know, our good design principles has just been like from using Apple products, not so much like reading about this kind of stuff. I don't think I've read mm-hmm. a single like article about design. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think that um, what we do is we, when it comes to making something, we would just think, okay, um, you know, try to, we need to make it as simple as possible. And Mm -hmm. every single like element that you put on the page has to have a very, very important purpose. Like can, and and can you hide functionality behind a simpler element? So for instance, like, you know, if that's a really good question, that's a really powerful question to ask yourself. If you have like, you know, if you go to the schedule view on core school, for instance, there's a little like gear icon or drop down. I forget what, which Mm -hmm. one we use now. Um, and, and you know, you've got all of these options. You can rename your schedule, duplicate schedule, those kinds of things. We would probably get a lot more people who know that those things exist. If we just like, you know, put like a little text boxes that said like rename Mm -hmm. schedule, blah, blah, blah against the thing. But the goal really there and you know, and this is kind of goes throughout course school is just like, it looks ugly. Like to have all these text boxes, like up there, it, you know, it clutters the screen let's hide even though we're going to get fewer people using them let's try to figure out what's the most intuitive way we can hide it behind something that you click and then it shows a drop down like you know Mm -hmm. and we we try to do that throughout as many things as possible on core school um and i think that that has um that 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 uh that prioritization of design i think has made people think we're a much bigger company like most people when they ask us we're they think we're like a hundred person company or something like that there's three people working full-time on this and like we have a part-time team up go that if we include part-time people it goes up to six so like there's very very few people doing it but it, the reason why we think people you know think we're so much larger is because of the care and the the attention we put into every single thing we do on on core school design wise i mean um that is something that is uh we spend i mean you might we might spend 
I think I said something like this earlier, 10% of our time worrying about the functionality kind of stuff, and then like 90% about the layout, how it's going to be displayed and those kinds of things. And that, that goes against a lot of what, I mean, some of it is like fighting back against like a lot of my CS major friends or those other things like where they're, they very much, they all, they're very functionality focused. Like this does mm-hmm. the thing, like that's what matters. It doesn't matter how nice it looks and those kinds of things. Yeah. We just think, fuck that mentality. Like it really matters. Like, you know, it, and it, it yeah. shows a, a matter of respect for the product and a matter of respect for the user that we're, we're taking the time to think about mm-hmm. this is how this should be designed. Um, and and yeah. that's something that's incredibly important to us. Yeah, and something I like to uh, theorize there, and you can call me wrong on this, but you know, you're like you said, you probably have like a, a distribution, an eighty twenty distribution of your users, where twenty percent of your users are those analytical, technical CS majors who are going to, no matter what you do and no matter how you hide it, find every power user feature of the product, whereas the eighty percent of your users just want a class notification and to build their schedule visually. Yeah, and you kind of can prioritize to the people that don't give a shit about like how all this advanced awesome stuff you're building they just want the most the basic stuff yeah and the 20 percent cs majors like me who are going to want like contingency plans and like alternative queries and like all sorts of advanced stuff i'll find that like i'll yeah. hover over those menus the extra details will come to me like that's fine yeah and, so it's and, and that catering is, to that power distribution absolutely right absolutely right and exactly why we do it is because we know that like why the hell would we dedicate like an enormous amount of screen space for this like duplicate schedule function when we know only 5% of our users are going to actually use it. Like there's mm-hmm. no point. We don't want to clutter the experience for the 95% who don't use it when, you know, and, and leave, you know, maybe leave room for, for other things that they might use later. Like that is really, that is really where we think of it. We think of like what percentage mm-hmm. of users are going to use this. That's the, that's how dedicated it should be on the screen. Like that's how represented it should be on the screen. I think um, Apple's a good role model for that too. I was probably. about to say that's a very yeah. Apple-esque and Steve Jobs mentality that I, you know, has served them very well, and I really like it because uh, for the last like five or so months, I've actually tried to go like all Apple with my my softwares like Reminders and Safari and Mail, and it's it's been really really nice because everything's so aesthetically. Yeah, I, I think that there's you know, humans we are we are not just about we, we're not just about getting things done like we're not robots mm-hmm. like we actually care about the pleasantness with which we get things done and I think that like you know using using like shitty looking software like it just like erodes at the soul or something like that like you can't mm-hmm. like you know it doesn't it does not enrich you the same way that like you know we, we, we see we see the software that we write and the way we present it like as as like uh you know we put as much attention and detail into it as like a poem or something like we really care about every single piece of it just like the poet cares about every single word in their poem like you know so we and we that dedication i think it shows through and then it, and then it it just like it it um it has an effect on the user that i think isn't somewhat intangible it's just like they they feel the care and i and i know this when i use certain software like i know i feel the care that's been put into the thought, the design, the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the flow of this kind of thing, you know, they've actually thought about this and really cared about it rather than someone who's just like, I'm throwing all this stuff together. The button is there. They'll find it like, you know, that kind of thing. Like you, you, you get that sense, this, this sense when someone has designed software like that, 
Apple generally is 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 the one of the best companies to look for with that, and uh, and we we care a lot about about uh, emulating that. Yeah, I think with that discussion, we'll transition into the bonus round kind of discussions for uh, the end of this conversation. Uh, so the first question there: What are your future goals for yourself and or for the company next one five five years or so? Sure. So, um, so for Corsical, um, I. I I think of myself as very intertwined with Corsical, so I'm just going to answer for Corsical. Um, so for Corsical, what we're looking to do is uh, right now we um, we've got these two products, which are relatively separate. As you know from the earlier parts of our discussion, that they were actually developed by separate teams: me and another friend working on the notification system, and me and Tara working on the the schedule planning system. They very much exist as two separate core schools. Core school to you might mean the web app. To me, it might mean the iOS and Android app, the notification system. So we are integrating that. And the first step of that um, is uh, actually creating like an account-based system. Now, again, we we care a lot about user privacy at Core School. Uh, so what we what we did was design this this system called the loginless system, which basically makes it so that you can have a um, a persistent identity on Corsicle without actually giving us any PII, any personal identifiable information like username, a password, phone number, anything like that. Um, and the way it works is just basically like you know device syncing. So for instance, what you'll do is you'll start using Corsicle on the on the web app. Then you know you'll see oh I can get notifications when seats open up. You'll have to download the iOS and Android app to do that. And then you can either text yourself or uh, a link. Or you can just generate a code on the on the website and then enter it on the the iOS and Android app, and all of your class information, all that kind of stuff, will just get pulled down. You didn't have to give us a you know, like an email, phone number, anything like that. We didn't have to create an account for you or anything like that. It just kind of works seamlessly in that way. Um, and and that's and you know the, we we've we care a lot about user privacy in that we don't want to have any pi any personal identifiable information that ties you to your. Um, to your class data in case we get hacked or something like that. So, um, so that was the the first step. So we designed the loginless system uh, this past the past like eight months or so. Uh, we've pushed part of it. We're still working on the syncing part right now, um, but the proof of concept is, is done. And the other thing uh, that we're working on that we just finished, um, you might not have seen it. I, I don't know how much you guys use the web app. Is um, professor ratings on Corsical, professor oh, wow. class ratings on Corsical. So. Um, we have uh, ratings for around 300,000 professors now on Corsicle. Um, so you can, if you go to Corsicle.com slash UA for Alabama uh, mm. and you search for some of your professors, after you enter in your top three favorite classes, top three favorite professors, you'll get information on like what professors are best at, at on your major, on your college mm. or anything like that. So you can help, it helps with informed decisions on, um, on, on which classes you want to take. I think that's a great opportunity and a great idea because, yeah, go ahead, Kyle. I was just going to say that I think that that market is primed for some disruption product because yeah. uh, Rate My Professor, I think, was just bought by Chegg and they're like creating a little monopoly on all these different products. So like, I think anything that combats, combats that is going to be able to gain some market share for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, so with regard to Rate My Professor, who is clearly the, the other player the one of the most people when we talk to them they open two things when they're doing course planning course school and rate professor we think yeah. that it should just be course school for the most part rate professor is just it is awful it is a horrible site we've talked to the people there hopefully they'll listen to this but it is just like 
it is living with city. ads. It is ad city, yeah. It, like, you know, you, they have the infinite scroll thing where after you get to the bottom of the page, you get, you know, you keep scrolling and it'll just show you ads forever. Like, <laughs> yeah, that is just, we, we think that uh. it's like the antithesis of like good design and like respectful of your users and those kinds of things. They are, they're really, they were bought by Cheddar actually, which is a, which is a okay. media company. Um, yeah, Cheddar. Chag. Chag. They, they basically sound the same thing. Um, but but um, they, they, uh, we, we really want to just get rid of them because like they, they, they probably shouldn't exist anymore. And really the media company Cheddar is just trying to extract uh, uh, like advertising revenue, as you can obviously tell from the site, from this existing thing. They don't care about the feed, the products or anything like that. So, yeah. um, so we are um, trying to kill them right now. And, uh, we think we'll probably do a, a pretty good job of it based on what we've created. So basically students go to the, to the, and, and again, you, you know, you said, you said it was a good idea. It's not our idea. We stole this from a student at Brown who had this, um, this great idea of having students rate their top three favorite classes, top three favorite professors. Then he would get information on how many students were in each of these classes so they could normalize adjust for how many people were in each class so for instance a class with five ratings that has a hundred people in the class should be rated lower than a class with five ratings that has 10 people in the class for instance right 10 10 favorites or five favorites yeah. or whatever so um so that's that normalization process the issue was he couldn't convince the registrar to give him that course data so i read this article and i thought well shit this is a great idea we do have that data for how many students are in each class so we can do that normalization so then we set out we had uh the two notre dame student interns this 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 uh semester and and kieran one of our employees she he worked full time on 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 this uh, this this feature, and so you go to core school. You can rate your top three favorite classes, top three favorite professors, and and uh, we'll generate those those ratings for you. Um, and yeah, so so we so that's some, one thing that we've been working on. Um, and now what we were working on is uh, merging the iOS and Android app, and we needed the login list system to do. Uh, sorry, merging the iOS Android app with the web app so that you can plan your class schedule on your phone and you can view your class. You can get notifications on the the website. Mm -hmm. Basically, sign up for notifications on the website. So um, the login list system was the stepping stone to that. Now we're actually doing that integration, which is we have not. I have. I don't think. I maintain the iOS app. I don't think that I have pushed an update to that app in like two years. So we, it's, wow. it's, yeah, we, we really care about, and that's another thing that kind of touches on like respect for users. Like we bug test the hell out of things to the point where, you know, two years later, we haven't had to push an update because there hasn't been such critical of a bug. So, um, you know, we, that's another factor that we, we, we think goes into like users respecting or like understanding our care for the product is, is, is it's significant and crazy bug testing along with user design mm -hmm. and that kind of, those kinds of things. But yeah, so, so we, um, we're, we're working right now to, to merge those things so that you can plan your class schedule on the, the app and, and, uh, track classes on the website. And then from there where there's more experimental things that we're, we're not sure of. So, we um we think that we could use our course data for a couple of things so one of the things that's unique about us obviously is that we have all of this course data for 800 900 colleges across the united states and so we think we could leverage that to create new products that uh you know like chegg and some of the other players in the space just really can't can't touch uh so one of the things would be maybe creating like a a subreddit mixed with piazza kind of thing um for each class at each university so you know for instance if you look at the lms 
um, learning management system like Sakai, Blackboard, those kinds of things, those are awful. Like, you know, basically every software that the universities buys is awful. And um, moreover, you know, you have all these students who are in this class that coming up with all these um, questions and answers, especially in like STEM classes. I think it's more common that people use those things, especially uh, CS classes. And then yeah, Piazza, get, my freshman year was a game. That was the yeah. reason I like made it through my first CS class. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Piazza is very helpful for sure, and it's especially used in CS classes. Um, and you you accrue all these questions, right? Like in the TAs, the professors answer them, or other smart students in your class answer them, and then all that at the end of the semester, all that data gets just wiped. You know, the next semester can't leverage any of the data that the that we think that's silly we think that it should it should persist so one of the things we're thinking about is actually making kind of like a mix between a subreddit and piazza that's not professor controlled that doesn't get wiped every semester so students can ask like you know we we basically know what classes you're in based on Mm -hmm. your um you know your class schedule on coursicle and this is coming together in my head okay yeah sorry it's like i'm like the wheels are turning and I'm yeah. seeing how this comes together. So, this is cool. so we know what classes you're in based on what classes you planned on Corsicle. And then yeah. we say, all right, well, now you can join this, this like subreddit chat kind of thing where you can, you know, ask questions and, and do answers uh, on, on um, this Reddit ish based kind of thing. Well, this kind of sounds like, like a stack overflow, but yeah. by course. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and it's, it's stack overflow slash Reddit by course. And the, and you know, the thing is like, that's awesome. It's very, you know, think about any other company who tries to do that it's difficult because like how do you know what courses are taught in the university and like as they change those kinds of things Mm -hmm. the great thing is we can just set up uh, urls for every single one of these course.com slash chat slash math unc slash math slash 521 or something right like it's very easy to do that we were also thinking of doing it by major or something like that so that you know when you are a senior and you know like you probably got this advice from a senior junior or something like that of what what are the different avenues you can take in your cs classes like some student just like on a lot of subreddits some student has taken a lot of time to like create this like workflow or something of like these are the classes you're going to take if you want to go into industry if you wanted to go to uh you know a master's program or something like that just have that be as like a top rated thing that's going to be invaluable until you know until the major completely changes so so we thinking of doing something like that we're not sure yet what it exactly would look like um and then the last go ahead there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with that though yeah yeah, however you want to pull that off whether it's like Stack Overflow, and you put in some sort of like karma, you know, system where you get upvoted in the kind of uh, crowdsourced credibility. I mean, there's a lot you can work into that. Yeah, those like open source networks, but that's yeah, awesome for sure. So we're thinking of doing that, and then the last thing is college comparison related things. So like we know that we have all this course data. Uh, U.S. News clearly doesn't have anything near this amount of data on each college, and so we want to potentially help high school students make better decisions about what college they want to go to. Maybe it's like hey, you know, U.S. News can tell you what's the average class size for the college, but that doesn't really help when you're going into biology versus English and the average class size for biology is like 150 versus Average English. class size by major is a completely yeah. different yeah. question. Yeah, it's a completely Not different true. thing. So, so th- that's the kind of thing that we can, you know, we can actually use our data that we have already mm-hmm. to create, you know, to answer those kinds of questions and to give a so, better... Yeah, like decentralizing those... those um, decisions that these people are making like the high schoolers you're talking about because like when i was making the decisions and looking at u.s news world report i would like go to the internet and be like well all those th- all that stuff is not true so you don't even know <laughs> yeah. like, i'm kind of with you i just immediately i'm like i have no idea what these base them on yeah. politics yeah. 
And then it's like, what do I look at? Yeah. Yeah. So we're thinking that there's something there. We've done some user research on this so far and the product that we were thinking of building doesn't seem most students, high school students, they seem that they just want to talk to a, a student at the actual college. Um, mm-hmm. so, so we're, we're kind of rethinking how we might do something like this, but, um, yeah, those are, those are the two things that are kind of like, uh, maybe later down the road after we get some of this other stuff done. Now, another thing that's important to note, especially for people who, you know, maybe be interested in starting businesses and that kind of thing is I cannot stress how important it is to have like good SEO. So what that means is like, organic discoverability of your site on Google is essentially what that means. Like how easy is it for people to find your site and become connected with you um, by like searching on Google basically. And um, we've done a very good job of that already with our core product. We set up course and professor pages. So when you Google courses and professors, there's a decent chance that course school is actually on the first page of those search results, especially if it's like a TA or someone else. Um, So you know, that's a very important thing. Um, and we, we care about that for every product we do. For instance, for the college comparison thing, we would set up pages for like University of Alabama versus University of South Carolina. And we would have like a comparison mm-hmm. thing. Cause when, you know, those query, like not that many pages exist probably, or if any pages exist for every single combination of every two colleges that you could possibly compare between when students Google that, we're probably going to be the only page that comes up. So, you know, that's a good way of getting people into course school without um, having to go out for them. And then same with the, uh, the last product that I mentioned, which is the, the kind of like chat room, like discussion product uh, that's kind of a replacement for Piazza. You know, you ask a question that's, that's, you know, that's, um, specific to your class at your university chances are three years later when someone asks the same question that's the only search Mm -hmm. result that comes up so you know that's a very important part i would say that really changed our business was getting all of this organic traffic the search engine optimization yeah that that really matters a lot and i think that what's like most valuable about that is that none of that data is data that you're inputting you know it's just data that you've collected and then you're sharing back to your users exactly yeah, yeah, yeah instead of you being like the person like us news world report does with you know the average class size they put that in there but you're yeah. just like having a parameter that gets filled by all the data that you already exactly. have yeah collected. it's significantly more scalable when you are you know the the data is being generated exclusively from things that you're collecting from existing sources rather than you have to every time you want to add more data you have to do effort to get it we just have to run another script basically like so mm-hmm. so yeah that's 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 a very good point and that's why i would encourage people i've always i always actually do this is encourage people who are looking for you know, I, I don't think it's a good way to start a business is like, I want to start a business. Let me figure out what I can start a business in. But if you are like considering a business, try to figure out ways in which you can leverage existing data that you can scrape or something like that. And then, you know, uh, significantly um, modify in such a way that you can get organic traffic from it. Cause that is by far the best way to just like get people pouring into your site instead of going after them. Cause that was a huge inflection point with, with us was when we started creating these pages that Google could crawl, we have like over a million, uh, it's close to 2 million now index pages on Google students. We get like 40,000 people a day coming to course school just because they're searching for something like, you know, like Adriasani, UNC or something like that, just professor names mm-hmm. and then the, the college. Like we just, there's just, you know, when you're doing that for millions of different professors, 
like it and you know there's just so few existing pages google's just going to rank you very highly once they know your page exists yeah and that's really really important because instead of us having to go out for to get users they were finally coming to us you have like an exponential amount of potential ways for people to find you yeah it really it really grows like crazy Kyle, you want to ask one of these uh, other questions on here? Oh, yeah. I thought you were about to ask about, about Lisa, my bad. Um, oh, I thought you already did. <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, so no, just uh, while you're kind of giving us one of those uh, explanation of that professor feature, I didn't know about it before this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I immediately looked up the one professor that Kyle and I interviewed on our podcast. Okay. Uh, Lisa McKinney, she's an accounting professor. And she's got an 89, which is circled in green. So mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that's pretty high for yes. your service. I don't know if you have like a metric for what like percentiles for how high 89 really is yeah she's a great professor and she's an 89 so 89 is good yeah 89 is very good so basically the way we do this rating system and we we tweaked it a lot um we um i won't tell you fully how the input of the data is but the way we do it is basically we compare the rating of the professor against the best professor in the school and so you're, mm. every professor's normalized against the best professor in their school. So like, say, you know, if there's this raw score um, and say like um, Kyle has like a, a hundred, he's the best professor in the school. And I have like, or no, Kyle's like a, a 90, uh, he's the best professor in the school. And I have like a, uh, what's a way to do this math easily. And I have like a 70, then my ultimate score is going to be 70 divided by uh, whatever I said his was 90. Um, and, and Kyle will get 100 on the, on the school's rating. So we normalize against the best professor in the school. And then also what we do is we, we take the best professor in the department and 30% of each professor's rating comes from their rating compared to the best professor in the department. So say, for instance, and this was to attempt to uh, adjust for the fact that STEM courses are generally, STEM professors are generally rated lower than other professors. Um, so what we do is like, if you, you know, even if like the, the best professor in your school is like an English professor with like a raw score of like a 95, then, um, and you're a math professor, what we do is we say, and you're, bet your score is like a, a, a 90 or something, but you're the best professor in your department, you're going to get a nice little boost just because you're the best professor in your department. Um, you know, not, you're not going to just get it based on the, be, on the best English professor. Does that make sense? So basically you're, we're no, trying makes to, total sense. Yeah, I mean, basically we're the just class, to people adjust. just are not going to be optim- as optimistic about the classes because they're harder. Exactly. That's exactly that right. So we're just see it trying in context. to, yeah. And we've, we've done very nominal research and found that this is like, this is pretty scientifically discovered that like math, especially math professors get lower ratings um, on average than, than other professors. And so we're just trying to account for that to try to make it more mm-hmm. comparable. So the goal is, and this is something compared to rate by professor, we are also boiling it down to a number so that you don't have to think, well, wh- which professor do I take? The one that has a 4.7 with five ratings or 4.5 with 100 ratings? Like we actually are using some Bayesian, algorithm, Bayesian averaging algorithms to mm-hmm. help you just leverage the best known way of in stats of doing this to compare the professors on a the same scale so like it's just like you take the professor with the highest number on Corsicle mm-hmm. instead of having to figure out well which one do I take the one that has fewer ratings but a higher rating or the one that has more ratings with a slightly lower rating mm-hmm. I like that that is a very deep way of looking at <laughs> there's uh, a lot behind that, that number yeah I think that yeah I think you know 
comparative websites probably don't put as much thought into that kind of, of rating that yeah. um, it makes it to where you can you can really trust that Corsicle number versus you know when you have three ratings on rate by professor and they're all zeros because those people got F's in the class you know yeah. I've, I've always thought about that when using rate by professor it's like either they absolutely love the professors so that's why they're going to write the review or they hated them and that's why they're going to write it so yeah and we have a we have a threshold and under that threshold uh, we do don't display any ratings, so it's not like once you get one rating on of course school uh, of a course professor on course school, you start to see a rating. There has to be a threshold because we don't we don't want to you know just a couple of students who got F's in the mm-hmm. class or just like have some personal uh, you know beef with a professor to to affect that professor's rating. Um, we we need a certain number uh, thing a certain number yeah. of ratings before we trust it, and so that that's something okay. that again I think lends to a similar thing with the design. We care a lot. Like this is this matters. Like this really matters when you've got you know hundreds of thousands of students using a platform and they, they you know well, the professors that they take like this could significantly impact the professor's enrollment, maybe even their potential like um, you know whether they're going to continue at the school or those kinds of things. Like you know we we really care about putting time and thought into um, into the rating that we're we're, we're displaying. These metrics. Um, and, yeah. and and hopefully that that show that you know again that shows like if you look up a couple of professors you might say like wow course school actually got the fact that um, you know this professor is slightly better than this one even though this one is significantly more uh, has significantly more ratings or something like that or you know significantly lower ratings we actually adjust for those things so um, yeah, that we we spent a lot of time doing like some statistics research, trying to figure out the best algorithm for this, and uh, and you know I think it shows in the results from what from we've talked to maybe like fifty students at a couple of universities, and and they said like yeah we can we can see how this is actually, you know it it takes the rate of professor data for instance, and and it really makes it simpler, and also like it makes mm-hmm. it easier to make decisions between professors. This addition to detail, I think, is mostly your your decision making, right? Like you're the founder of the company. It's a lot on you. So where does this influence come from? Your entrepreneurial um, influences that make it to where you're paying this close attention to detail to all these um, factors. You know, the product is important, and you know that, but where do you draw inspiration other than let's say Steve Jobs sure other than Steve Jobs um honestly the thing is like I don't I very much do not identify with the entrepreneurship community in, in general like I don't really I think that a you know I don't like follow Elon Musk on Twitter. Like I think a lot of these people are just like that's a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> All right, maybe just for for uh comedic value more recently. But um yeah, I think that for for me like I really don't um I don't I don't like follow any of these like typical people like Sheryl Sandberg or all these kind of people like I, I, it's more for me it's more of like I don't want to emulate anybody, right? Like I want to figure out what what matters to me and then like put my own like you know what the fuck's the point of just becoming another Steve Jobs? Like there's no there's no like, <laughs> yeah, there's there's really like that you know that sounds pretty crazy, but like at the same time like you you don't want to just be the same person as somebody else. Yeah. Like, you know, there, Steve Jobs for instance just like you know I think that he probably made a fuck ton of mistakes that like the next person who does something like him should should change like you know the fact that 
for instance, his company is probably, I would say probably like 90% male engineers. Like there are a lot of things that you don't necessarily want to follow in the footsteps of these people because the world has changed and the world needs different things now. So I think it, it can be a mistake to kind of follow those influences. Um, and one of the people that I would say maybe I, I think about is Richard Feynman, who's actually a physicist. Um, and like, you know, I think about him, like not caring what other people think, um, you kind of going on your own beat, like, you know, that's kind of tied into the same thing. Like we, we don't just fall into the same things that we don't want to be like every other startup. For instance, a couple of things we want to run entirely on our own revenue. We don't want to raise money. Like we, you know, we, we very much certainly could have raised a decent amount of money by this point, but we care about like running off of our own revenue. Um, and, and like I said before, we want an equal balance of male and female engineers. Like these are some things that I think that, you know, define a lot of what core school is and they matter more than, um, you know, than just trying to be the next Steve jobs. Like I think that this, Mm -hmm. this, this, this matters a lot more. So in terms of influences that I would look at, like, you know, I don't, the only person I would probably say is Richard Feynman. Uh, who's Have you read his book? Yes, uh, I've read. Uh, yeah, one. Surely I, you're joking. I've read Surely You're Joking. I've read uh, the, some of the others when I was in high school. I think there's a, at least one other main one. Um, there's Surely You're Joking. There's another one that's kind of like a long title like that. I forget what it's called. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've read I've read his books, and I and I you know I think that he's a he's definitely someone to look look up to when it comes to like. Even for entrepreneurship, it's just like don't give a shit what other people think and mm, don't, tinker. Yeah, and and just like and just, I don't know. I guess one of the things is just like I don't I don't want to just emulate something that someone else is doing. Yeah, he was a very unique character. For yeah, he sure. very very much was. Like there's a there's a he's not just he's cer- he was certainly not like every other physicist. Not at all. Uh, so what about some habits you might have that you think have been important to? know getting your work done being successful kind of i think set like just what you said of not caring about other people's thoughts is a habit not uh needing to have a specific roadmap role model is a habit but what are some those are kind of like not to do habits what are some like things that you do try to like hold yourself to or behaviors that you think have helped you all be successful and productive and sure um, so so, user feedback and those kind of things being proactive yeah so innovative. i think that one of the biggest personal habits that i have that i really it, it it um it permeates everything in my life uh beyond just corsicle is being a completionist like not completing something that you set out set your mind on to do is just like really much not an option um for me so you know, I think that 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 really that was something that made course school possible. I think in the first place, like I, I see a lot of CS students who will, you know, they'll be like, "Oh, I'm working on this really cool thing, and I'm really excited about it." And you know, they'll they'll have it like half done. Maybe they'll get it to seventy five percent, and it'll never see the light of day. Like, and I cannot tell you, like that is the vast majority of things that people work on. They just don't complete it, even if they completed it and it sucked. At least they got it out to like. 20 people and they maybe learn mm-hmm. something from that um to me i think that being a completionist like and it's difficult to be discerning like sometimes i'm certainly doing things to completion that like i really shouldn't be doing like you know i don't know like cleaning my room like a crazy person or something like that but um 
like I think that having that attitude can be very helpful uh, for things in business and um, and and just making your own product stuff. So that's definitely the first thing that comes to mind. That's, I mean, that's a great answer. Uh, and I think what you told us in the founding story just kind of half an hour ago at the beginning of this conversation is you built this primitive tool, screenshot with an email. Uh, it worked for you. You got your classes. But you're like, you know what? I've already invested this much time. There's some potential here. I'm just going to finish it anyway so someone else might use yeah, exactly. it. Like if you didn't have that mentality, that's exactly right. Like this whole story stops there. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Because yeah. you solved your problem, but you're like this that that was the point wasn't just like yeah i've whipped this together it's useful for something else so i'm going to see that through before i just scrap it take my classes and just be another college kid uh who takes classes yeah and i think that there's there's no doubt about it that like um completionism i don't think is a is necessarily an essential attribute of like the the founding of course school but perseverance definitely was like i can't tell you how many times you know, we thought Corsica was never going to make it to the point it was like, you know, we're doing a quarter million in revenue every year. Like we're able to, you know, feed ourselves and and a couple of employees, those kinds of things. Like, um, we have hundreds of thousands of users. We're becoming a well-known name on a lot of campuses. There were times the one specifically, I tell some of our employees about where Tara and I, when we first started expanding to new schools, we were in New York trying to fly or NYU and like, you know, it was just like we we just added NYU. It's been a couple of hours adding it on the site, and we were flying all over the NYU. And then we um, we like we would go back to the dorms that we had flyed and see that someone had ripped off the the things. We went to our user count and saw that we had two users after like three hours of flying, and we both just sat in Washington Square Park and just like cried. And then like a student walked up and was like, "Hey, you know, he saw like a flyer in Tara's hand. It was like, hey, that's interesting." And he he took it and like that kind of was like a sign from God or whatever that we should keep going. But you know, there were times where, and that was that was even like twenty seventeen, I think, like that was two and a half three years ago. Like the perseverance, like we, you know, if we had just decided to give up and there were a bunch of other stories like that where we were just so distraught and did not think that this was going to get anywhere, just persevering through that. If you really, you know, intuitively believe uh, that this, that the product does have value, like, you know, again, the story would have stopped there. So I I think that perseverance and uh, and completionism are two things that really lend to the success of Corsicle. Yeah, I mean, completionism as an idea, I think, is something that has been hard for me uh, in my life and <laughs> something that I, when I do um, exercise it, it increases the quality and uh, of my life and my stories uh, exponentially. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a difficult thing. And, you know, it's a muscle that you have to 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 work out, I guess, and stress mm-hmm. stretch and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, and and it, it it certainly doesn't come without its fallbacks. There's no question about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I've worked mm-hmm. myself like because of it. I've certainly worked myself um, too far to certain points, like to the point where, and you know, I I also care about being very open about mental illness stuff. Like uh, to the point where I had like serious anxiety breakdown stuff where I couldn't work on Corsicle for four months. Um, so you know, there's there's certainly some some bad sides about it, but um, but. I think that overall it's, it's something that could be very helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think one way to think about completionism is like a sort of a regret framework, right? Uh, are you going to uh, ever regret finishing something? You yeah. know, I don't think you're ever going to regret having seen something through, but you'll very often regret 
having not seen something through. Yeah. Uh, and something Kyle and I have kind of discussed for uh, this type of thinking is the idea of positive constraints. And this is like an article I wrote. And funny enough, you said you've never read a design article. This one article I wrote got picked up by this medium publication called UX Collective of all things, mm-hmm. which was not at all what it was about, which is kind of funny. But this whole article was about this Matt DeVella video, who's this YouTuber about minimalism and productivity, uh, that he called it the two-year rule, which basically was the idea of applying a discrete end goal to a personal project mm-hmm. uh, to give yourself a sense of completion to yeah. see it through. So when he went out about making a YouTube channel, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this for two years before I determine success or failure. Or when Kyle and I made this podcast, it's like, we're going to make at least 50 episodes or whatever it was before we determine success or failure and decide if we want to continue. So that's like a better, it's it's at least some sort of like tangible framework for saying, you know, this is something I want to do. Uh, My friend like has a a Python open source project he's been working on that makes Stack Overflow work in the terminal. Mm. And it's like, okay, this project's not complete until it at least does this much. And then at that point, I can evaluate if I want to add to it or more, but I at least want to see it that far. Yeah. So I think that's a good way of kind of... uh, balancing the seeing something through to a completion and defining that from the get-go and then reaching it instead of leaving it open-ended and then also obsessing about well this needs to be complete but you haven't told yourself what that is and i think that's how you kind of end up in that the bad spiral yeah yeah exactly yeah i I really i really do like that i think that uh, that's something that we do on you know give an insight in how we work on corsicle like at we have we only we hate meetings i mean who doesn't but we only have one meeting a week for an hour and during that meeting we set like weekly goals it's very Mm. specific you know we have a goals doc where someone says like terrible you know finish this these three things in the android app and like that is the completion so it's kind of like setting that that thing at the the following week she says yep i completed that if she didn't she'll say like i didn't and this is why i couldn't (laughs) do it right like you know it's just like it's a binary thing like completed or didn't and setting those those exact constraints, I think, is very important. And that's that's a really good way of making sure that you're making tangible things, like mm-hmm. tangible like uh, steps towards whatever you want to get to. Um, and setting the very, you have to be specific. It's difficult. It's really difficult. You you know, you could say like, and it's but it but it's a much easier to say like I. Um, it's difficult to set those constraints, but once you do, it's much easier to get to where you want to get to. So like, it's much easier to say. You know, I'm going to create the user view screen on Android, um, which has these five uh, features that are pulled from the server or something, than it is to say, I'm going to finish the uh, iOS Android integration by like, you know, 1.5 months from now or something, right? Like yeah. you need to set those little little pieces to get there. And I think that that is something that is that's helped a lot. And that, that was, again, something that the Terra actually encouraged us to do. Mm-hmm. Or it's, you know, it's a common kind of quote in like the productivity space is we overestimate what we can do in one week, but underestimate what we can do in six months or something like that. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they, I, I like that. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Yeah, that's that's yeah. very good. It's good to set weekly goals like that and, and hold yourself to them. That email, like we, we have it in the Google Doc, It e- the email goes out to the entire team and our, there are three advisors every week. So we have to like, you know, it kind of gives a sense of like, we have to keep going with this. We have to, mm-hmm. we have to try to maximize everything we get completed. Well, this was great. Um, I think, you know, one constraint that we have on this podcast is time. So we're probably <laughs> gonna, we're gonna have to wrap up, but um, this, this was really a great conversation. What's, what's the best way that people can support you and the company Corsicle? Um, well, one thing 
if I think one of the biggest things we are looking to hire right now. So if you have, if you know someone who's not an asshole, then <laughs> definitely, definitely have them reach out to uh, us. Well, that rules out Kyle. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so if you, if you, you know, have somebody who you think would be good for working for Core School, we're looking for full time hires now. Um, engineering or engineering? Yeah, basically okay. all all six of us right now are engineers. We really only hire engineers at this point. So you have to be able to code, or you have to be willing to learn how to code. Um, so uh, we're looking for for engineers, um, ideally uh, female engineers, especially because we want to keep that gender balance. It's very difficult when we're. I mean, you know, when we put out uh, things on our site. You know, I think we we when we first started to actually recruit, we put out something on our site that said, you know, we're looking for summer interns for Core School. And um, and then we also put it on Handshake, which is the way mm-hmm. most college student, student job students, matching student yeah. job things. And within a month and a half, we had 1,400 people apply for our internship, uh, which was a lot of resumes to go through. I think, like, <laughs> I think that's got to be uh, encouraging, though, that you have yeah, so much interest. It was, it was yeah, that's ve- very encouraging. It was very encouraging. We narrowed it down to like 30 people and then ended up only six people got to the final and two people got the the actual internship and they both accepted but um out of that application pool i'm pretty sure 85 percent were men so like that's something that you know we need if you know if you have if you know someone who's a woman specifically like we're not we're not saying we only hire women but like you know we're, we're specifically looking to make sure we maintain that gender balance and we have to go out of our way to do it because if you just like you know your your ultimate uh the ultimate people you hire is going to be, you know, probably the same proportion of the people who are applying, and that's going to be eighty-five percent men. So you have to go against the against the the momentum, uh, and so you mm-hmm. have to, you know, say stuff like this. So yeah, if you if we're looking specifically for people to hire who are not assholes, um, bonus if you're a woman, and then other things are just you know tell your friends about course school, especially at schools where it's not super popular. It's really popular at University of Alabama. Fun fact. A couple of days ago, University of Alabama actually took down the um, the public display of course de- of like whether class was open or closed. So right now, the notify system, as of a couple of days ago, is not working for Alabama. So another thing that you could support do if you're an Alabama student is please write to the registrar, or the IT department, <laughs> saying like make the data public again because like Corsicle doesn't work anymore or something. You don't have to mention Corsicle. Just say like I can't access whether a class is open or closed um, on on. Um, I forget what the, you guys call it, but like we'll I'll, definitely I'll, try and make that better. And yeah. I hope deeply that you get greater than zero leads from this podcast on new hires. Okay, that'd be great. That would be that would yeah. be really good. Yeah, um, yeah. So those are those are the two main things I would say that you could you guys could do, and and really just like telling your friend, like I said, telling your friends who uh, uh, about core school who are in a school where it's not popular yet. I think yeah. that that my would be uh, my cousin's an incoming freshman at Penn State, so. I'll cool. have to get him on the train. Yeah, Penn State. We've had issue. I think we, they they made it very hard to scrape their data. So I don't know if we support the current semester of Penn State, but um, but we'll look into that to help okay. your, to help your cousin. All awesome. right, perfect. Well, thanks, man. Thank you so much for doing this with us. I think uh, I think it was what exactly what we wanted from the conversation and a lot of insights. You're very uh, what's the word here? Contrarian on a lot of your entrepreneurial thought processes and i think that's been to your benefit so yeah i think it has for sharing that with us if i'm if i'm going the same path as other people i'm probably going the wrong path is the i guess the way i'm looking at it but yeah i i think that uh i think that it has certainly hurt me in some ways but but 
overall it probably has helped a little bit um but yeah appreciate your guys's time this has been a lot of fun i definitely could have made this a four-hour podcast but (laughs) i appreciate you guys putting a time constraint so that i can get get over to other things appreciate it cool man well we'll put this out next couple days thanks for doing this with us awesome yeah just send me the link thanks guys perfect great talking to you Well, that wraps up our interview with Joe Puccio. Thank you so much for listening. It was a fantastic conversation. He's very smart. And what shocked me the most was just how thoughtful he was with every design choice for Corsicle over the years. Yeah, I think that really uh, shows through the product if you go in and take a look yourself, any of these people listening. Uh, The best way to stay in touch with us is by following us on social media, pretty much on all major platforms now, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can search for The Lewis and Kyle Show or search us directly on Twitter and Instagram at Lewis and Kyle Show or at Lewis Kyle Show. Uh, The best way to help us out is by recommending the show to a friend, find an episode you think they'd like and tell them they should give it a listen. Otherwise, you can leave a rating or review on iTunes to help us grow in the rankings and the charts and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you all so much for being here. Bye-bye.